It was the biggest day of Orioles baseball in six years, and yet it turned into somewhat of a disaster for the Orioles as they were swept by the Blue Jays in Monday's doubleheader and their playoff hopes took a hit. I'll recap both of those losses, plus talk about what's next for the Orioles coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, September 6th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we recap a tough Labor Day of Orioles baseball. The O's had a doubleheader with the Blue Jays, had a chance to pull within a half game of Toronto, but instead, the offense never woke up, the Orioles were swept by the Blue Jays, and they now sit four and a half games out of a playoff spot, the furthest they've been back in a long, long time. I will recap both of the losses, getting you the five things you need to know from the losses in game one and game two of the doubleheader, and then talk about, well, what's next for the Orioles and what they need to do to get right back into this wild card hunt. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. The pod is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. New episodes five days a week, Monday through Friday. They come out to your favorite listening spot and also right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to Locked On Orioles here on YouTube. Can't thank you all enough for all the subscribers so far. Hope to keep them coming. Hopefully the Orioles can stay in this playoff race. You can keep consuming some Orioles content right here at Locked On Orioles. But again, we thank you for making the pod your first listen of the day. And for your first podcast listen today, well, we're going to pretty much focus on, in this entire episode, what happened on Monday. The Orioles, after taking two out of three from the Athletics over the weekend, had a gigantic series. The biggest series in the regular season that the Orioles have played since 2016. I thought, honestly, biggest series since the last week of the year in 2016 when the Orioles went to Toronto and ended up tying with the Blue Jays at the end of that series for the wild card lead. That's how big this series felt. The O's were two and a half games back of the Blue Jays with a four-game set coming up, including a doubleheader on Monday, and had a chance to go into the wild card lead. And you felt, well, if they can get three or four, they'll be a half game back. If they can get both on Monday, they could be a half game back. Well, that did not happen. And the Orioles just... Fell flat in this one, losing game one, seven to three, and losing game two, eight to four. The Blue Jays come in and sweep the Orioles in the doubleheader and now sit four and a half games above the O's. But let's start with game one, a one o'clock start on Labor Day. And the five things you need to know from the Orioles seven to three loss to Toronto in game one of the doubleheader. And the first thing you need to know is that, well, Mike Bauman, wasn't bad, I didn't think, in his first career start. Now, the Orioles, of course, with the doubleheader, got to call up an extra player, as you always get. So the 29th man that they promoted for the doubleheader ended up being 
Mike Bauman. Now, they also made another move before the game. They optioned Rico Garcia down to AAA Norfolk, and they called up Bo Salser, the right-hander, to pitch out of the bullpen, who actually did pitch a scoreless inning for the O's in that game. So they did make another roster move as well. But Mike Bauman was brought up to be the 29th man and to start this game because, unfortunately for the O's, the Blue Jays had had some off days recently where they could set it up so that, you know, two of their normal starters could go in this doubleheader. Of course, they pitched Kevin Gosman here in Game 1, and they were able to throw Jose Barrios in Game 2. Now, it helps a little bit that the Blue Jays kind of do have six starters right now, as you say Kikuchi's still on the team, but he's kind of been struggling. They've gone to a six-man rotation, then to a five-man rotation. So they were in a little better spot than the Orioles, obviously, but they also had more off days to help them out. The O's barely have any off days coming up here. Now, they have one on Thursday. They have two next week. And that's basically it for off days for the rest of the season for the Orioles. But essentially, they had to call somebody up. And so they go with Mike Bauman, which I thought was the right choice. Bauman had been pitching really well in AAA and had come off the best start of his career. Had pitched six scoreless innings last week in Norfolk and had struck out a career-high 13 batters without a walk in his last AAA start. So in terms of guys who deserved it, I mean, Bauman number one on that list to get the start. And again... The stuff wasn't great, it wasn't dominance, but he gave the O's a chance to win in a spot start against one of the best offenses in the American League, and I felt like that, that was kind of all you could ask for out of Bauman in this one. He goes five innings, allowing three runs on eight hits, two strikeouts, and no walks, no homers allowed by Bauman, who threw 78 pitches in his five innings of work. Now, for him, it had been a while. You know, remember, he was on the team early in the season, made a few appearances in April and May for the Orioles, then was sent down and, and really hasn't pitched since then in the big leagues. Had been in AAA, kind of being built back up as a starter because at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, the O's were using him out of the bullpen. Now, I do still think long-term he is a big league reliever for the Orioles, but he at least showed that he could start a game and keep his team in it. Now, I will say... Obviously, the Blue Jays, they did hit him hard. 11 hard hit balls against Bauman in the five innings. And it's not like he had a lot of swing and miss in his game. Just two strikeouts, only six whiffs on 45 swings against Bauman in this one. And four of those six whiffs came on his four-seam fastball, where the velo was good. He was 95 to 97. But he did use his cutter a lot. Actually, threw 29 cutters, which was the most used pitch. 25 four-seamers, 16 curveballs, and seven change-ups to go with it on the day for Bauman, and he just didn't have any elite stuff. And now I like his cutter. It's essentially a, a hard slider. It's 91 to 93, and his four-seamer plays up in the zone, and he kind of has a hammer curveball at times, but just couldn't get everything working together. He you know, didn't throw a lot of balls. He was all around the strike zone, didn't walk anybody over five innings, but he just struggled to keep the ball out of the middle of the plate. At the end of the day, you know, We'll see if he's just going back down to AAA. I thought he gave the O's a chance to win. They just couldn't do it. Second thing you need to know from this one is that big day for Anthony Santander at the plate for the Orioles. Homering from both sides of the dish in this one. Started off the scoring in the bottom of the first, taking a splitter from Kevin Gaussman onto Utah Street for a solo homer. His 26th of the year gave the Orioles a 1-0 lead. Now, it was a little lucky for Santander, who the pitch before was a fastball in the inside corner that really should have been called strike three. It was not. And then he turned it into a home run on the next pitch. Santander hitting at 105.6 miles per hour off the bat, 414 feet. 
And then Santander homered again late in the game, came up from the right side of the plate in the eighth inning, hit one 109.9 off the bat, 414 feet out to left field for his 27th homer of the season. That made it a 4-3 game in the bottom of the eighth. And he just swung it well in this one. Second time of the year, he's homered from both sides of the plate. First time since May, the swing looked good. And you like to see that who, from Santander, who continues to lead this team with now 27 home runs. Just been a, a great, big breakout season for Anthony Santander. And he's kind of been the one and only power source that the O's have had. I mean, Mount Castle, obviously, at times. But other than that, it's kind of just been Santander hitting the ball out of the ballpark this year. But the third thing you need to know is that, well, the rest of the bats, they were pretty much asleep in this game one for the Orioles. Three runs on eight hits, but the Orioles did not come up with a hit with runners in scoring position. 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position in this game. They just wasted away their chances. The runs they did score was the Santander solo homer in the first, the Santander solo homer in the eighth, and then Ryan Mountcastle had an RBI double in the sixth. It came with Adley Rutschman standing on first base. He scored from first. Mountcastle actually just missed a two-run homer on that play that would have tied the game. Instead, it just made it a 3-2 game in the sixth inning as Mountcastle continues to mash the Blue Jays. But they had their chances, and they just... Gave him away in this one. I mean, you got to get some hits with runners in scoring position. And the offense just didn't do it. Just another terrible showing by your bats in a day game. And it was it was tough to watch again. Now, I will say, the fourth thing you need to know, to be fair to the Oriole offense, <sighs> Manny Gonzalez had quite a day as the home plate umpire in this one. Multiple calls really on both sides hurt both teams, but especially hurt the Orioles late in this one. And obviously, the really big call that everyone's talking about came in the bottom of the eighth, right after Santander had hit the home run to pull the Orioles back within one 4-3 game with one out in the bottom of the eighth. Obviously, nobody on base. Ryan Mountcastle battling at the plate, facing Adam Simber, the submariner, takes a 3-2 pitch that was, I mean, not just below the knees, way below the knees. Great take by Mountcastle. Should have been ball forced to put the tying run at first with one out in the eighth. Instead, it's called strike three, a brutal call, one of the worst I've seen in, in obviously a huge spot, not just in the game, but in the season for both of these teams. And Gonzalez's zone was awful. I'm excited to see the umpire scorecard here on Tuesday morning to see how bad he really was. But it really did hurt both teams, and, and I know Blue Jays fans were complaining as well, but that call in the eighth was the worst of the worst. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this Orioles 7-3 loss is that, you know, D.L. Hall just, he had a rough outing. In this one, it was a second relief outing in the big leagues, and he went through some growing pains in this game. Hall entered the game in the top of the eighth and did get the final out of the eighth inning on two pitches to keep it at a 4-2 game after Brian Baker had surrendered a home run. But Hall came back out there in the top of the ninth. It was then a 4-3 game with his job to keep it at one run, and he just got hit around. At the end of the day, Hall allowed three runs on four hits, recorded only one out, no strikeouts with one walk. Through 24 pitches, his stuff just wasn't super crisp. He was a little errant with the command. But again, this is a guy who's working in a new role out of the bullpen. The stuff is still elite. He just didn't have it. And in your second big league relief appearance, sometimes you're just not going to have it. And to be honest with you, sometimes that's okay if you just don't have it at the plate from time to time. Or on the mound from time to time, I should say. But at the end of the day, I still believe in D.L. Hall. Again, I'm not going to give him a save situation or the ninth inning with the bases loaded right now. 
But what I am going to give him is some high leverage outs because he's got crazy good stuff. He showed it on Saturday night, and he's going to bounce back from this one, certainly. But obviously what we hoped is that the Orioles would bounce back from a 7-3 loss in Game 1. You thought, okay, they struggle in day games, but you got a game starting at 5 o'clock. You have Jordan Lyles on the hill. He's going to eat some innings. And you can at least split this doubleheader and put yourself in a good position moving forward. But that's not what happened for the Orioles. As they lost game two, were swept in the doubleheader. And I'll get you the five things you need to know from that game two loss coming up here in a second. But first, if you're feeling down about the O's right now, I know I am a little bit, check out Built Bar Puffs. They will certainly brighten your day because if you haven't tried the Built Bar Puffs, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. It's delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite. Cookie dough chunk puffs have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and of course, like all the Built Bars, like all the Built Puffs, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. It's a protein-infused marshmallow, the only one out there. And the cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein. So whether you need a snack for your workout, late-night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar, the perfect protein marshmallow. You can ditch the calories, the fat, and the sugar, and grab yourself a Built Bar. So go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off at built.com. So for the Orioles, a tough day on Monday. They drop both games of the doubleheader against the Blue Jays, fall to four and a half back in the wildcard chase. And after losing game one, seven to three, they went into game two feeling good. You know, they had their ace on the hill, or at least what he's been at times, especially lately in Jordan Lyles, or so they thought. And, you know, you figured if they were going to split this doubleheader, you have to call up Mike Bauman for game one. You feel like you probably have a better chance to win game two. It's not necessarily a day game. You got your guy out there. So I was still feeling okay, even after the game one loss. But it didn't happen. It wasn't a win. And the Orioles lost eight to four in game two. And I'll get you the five things you need to know from that eight to four loss. And the first thing, obviously, you need to know, we learned just minutes before first pitch is that Jordan Lyles was sick, had flu-like symptoms, and had to be scratched from this start. Now, this was pretty much the absolute top disaster scenario for the Orioles. Now, we learned early in the day, in the morning, that Lyles had been dealing with some symptoms and woke up feeling sick. Brandon Hyde told the media before the game that Mike Bauman was the one pitching game one and Lyles was pitching game two because Lyles woke up not feeling so great. He told Hyde and Hyde basically said, let's schedule you for game two so you get a little more time to recover. Obviously, that makes sense. However, obviously, whatever was going on with Lyles, he just did not have the time to recover like he needed to. And he went out there and threw his warm-up pitches before game two, and it looked like he was ready to start. And then he just left the bullpen into the clubhouse, and that was it. Could not go for game two. So 10 minutes before first pitch, the Orioles had to make a change. Now, in between games, they had option Bo Salser down to AAA. They had Bruce Zimmerman with them, and they activated Bruce Zimmerman to the roster for game two just as the emergency longman. Well, at the very least, you had a starter on the roster who was ready to go. And in theory, that would have been the guy. But because they found out, I mean, basically 10, 15 minutes before first pitch, 
Bruce Zimmerman did not have time to get fully ready for a start. So according to Brandon Hyde after the game, Keegan Aiken volunteered to start. Obviously, he had been a starter the last two years for the Orioles before moving to the bullpen this season, regularly pitches two-plus innings out of the pen when he does throw. So he's kind of the next guy who made the most sense. And I got to give props to Keegan Aiken. We'll talk about that in a bit. But just horrendous luck for the Orioles. I mean... You know, you got your guy who gives you six to seven innings, had been pitching so well in Jordan Lyles. You got your bullpen fairly rested for game two of a doubleheader, and you just lose Lyles. And obviously, the O's hope, you know, that Lyles ends up okay and he can start either tonight or, you know, maybe the the Wednesday night game and still get a start in against these Blue Jays. We will see. Could give everyone else an extra day of rest as well in the rotation. But, man. Just an awful, awful break in such an important game for the Orioles. I mean, it really felt like, you know, the O's have had a good amount of luck on their side this year to stay in this wildcard race. This felt like the biggest blow of bad luck that the Orioles have taken really all year. But as I mentioned, Keegan Aiken still did a nice job. And the second thing you need to know is that Aiken was solid kind of stepping into this role. And this was after the guy had thrown two scoreless innings through 20 pitches in Saturday night's win. And he came right back out there two days later and competed. And Aiken went two and a third. He was eventually charged with two runs on two hits, struck out four and walked one through 42 pitches. And Aiken had the stuff working. The issue was, you know, Brandon Hyde just did not want him to go through the order two times. He ended up facing 10 batters. The only batter he faced twice was George Springer after he walked him with one out in the third to put runners on first and second and one away. Hyde went into the bullpen, but I thought Aiken gave them... A solid chance. Unfortunately, Nick Vespi came in, got a strikeout, and then allowed a three-run homer to Bo Bichette. The Blue Jays took a 3-1 to lead at that point, one they did not give up. We'll talk about Bichette a little bit later. But the third thing you need to know from this one is that, I mean, you got to give props to Bruce Zimmerman, who after Vespi got two outs, gave up the homer in that third inning, Zimmerman came on in the fourth. Obviously, the Orioles did not want to bring him in you know, with a situation with runners on base, he's basically never done that. He needs at least a clean inning. And that is what Zimmerman got as he came out in the fourth with the Orioles trailing three to one. And yes, he got hit around a bit, but Bruce Zimmerman at the very least did save this Orioles bullpen for the next two days. And basically everybody is going to be available except for probably Nick Vespi for tonight's game. And that's because of Bruce Zimmerman. He goes six innings in relief, allowing five runs on eight hits. He struck out three, walked just one. And now he did give up three homers, but he gave the Orioles 92 pitches and six innings in relief in this one. And again, some of the innings were not pretty. He gave up a giant four spot in the sixth inning when the Blue Jays just pulled away and and went up seven to one in this game. And the same problem we saw from Bruce when he got sent down was happening again in this one. Gave up too many homers, three long balls against Zimmerman, but he limited damage at times, and once the game kind of got out of hand, he was able to settle down and at least get through the eighth and ninth innings to keep the O's in the game. The issue was, I mean, four whiffs on 44 swings, not good. Now, he barely threw his four-seamer, which is a good change from one of the worst pitches in baseball that he was throwing when he was back up at the bigs. He's basically a a change-up and sinker guy and threw the curveball, and the slider was really good. Nothing else was was really working for him, but he at least gave the Orioles some length. Obviously, we, we should see Bruce option back to AAA to get another pitcher up here. It's going to be a, a little carousel of uh, roster moves probably made with Bauman and Zimmerman going down here today before tonight's game. But the fourth thing you need to know from this one is that really nobody uh, could get 
Bo Bichette out. Now, to be fair, Keegan Aiken actually did strike Bo Bichette out in the first inning of this game. But then Bo Bichette ended up homering, and then he homered, and oh yeah, he homered. A three-run shot in the third, a solo shot in the sixth, and a solo shot in the seventh gave Bichette his first career three-homer day and just buried the Orioles. Had five of the eight RBIs in this game for Toronto. The O's just could not get him out, hitting out of the three-hole in this game, and it was uh, it was just tough to watch. And that was after a three-hit game in game one. I mean, Bichette had seven RBIs in this doubleheader, and just not much you can say. I mean, Nick Vespi, when he came in, you know, you were hoping for that big out, get the O's out of that third inning, keep a one nothing lead, then you go to Zimmerman. Vespi just made a bad pitch to Bichette, and he crushed a three-run homer into left field, and then he just crushed a couple of balls off of Zimmerman as well, and that was kind of that for the Orioles. And Well, the fifth and final thing you need to know, I mean, it took a while to get to it, but the O's offense here in game two, I mean, it was a little better, but at the end of the day, just not enough. Four runs on 10 hits for the Orioles in this one. And once again, just the struggles with runners in scoring position continue. The O's went one for six with runners in scoring position, giving them a one for 14 outing in the two games. Now, I will be fair to them in game two. The O's crushed the ball at times. They had 13 hard hit balls in this game with 11 of them coming off of starter Jose Brios. But Brios was able to pitch six innings and allow only two runs with only two strikeouts and eight hits allowed because the O's couldn't get the big hit with the runners in scoring position. Now, they hit some balls hard. They lined out. They had an expected batting average of 309 in this game. They had a 50% hard hit percentage. It, it didn't matter. It just, it didn't matter. They hit the ball right at some fielders. They couldn't come up with a big hit despite having 10 of them. And, I mean, Adley Rutschman had a big day, three for five. He hits a home run in the ninth inning, three hard-hit balls. He had multiple guys with two hard-hit balls. He had Rugnet Odor go deep in this game. But, I mean, everything felt like it kind of came down to, you know, you were watching that seventh inning, and that was just a microcosm of what the Orioles' offense has been lately. You know, they're pretty much out of the game. They're down 8-1 to one in the seventh inning, but they start a little rally. They get the first two on. Of course, Robinson Chirinos gets the Orioles' only hit with a runner in scoring position. Comes with first and second, no outs. Drops one in. They hold the runner at third, so it doesn't even score a run. And then they get a run on a catcher's interference, which, whatever, I'll take it. Then Rutschman grounds into a fielder's choice. That gets a run home. And then you get back-to-back outs, and you have that big chance to maybe sneak back in the game, and you only get the two runs. You don't even bring one home on a hit. And it was just frustrating to watch in these two games. The Orioles' offensive struggles continue. They're going to need to turn something around. And that's what I'm going to talk about next. Because as the O's lose these two games, they're still in it. Don't get me wrong. But they've made things a lot tougher for themselves if they don't finish this series strong. So coming up next, we'll talk about kind of what the future, what September, the final month of the season looks like for the O's, and what they're going to need to do to get back right on the doorstep of this wild card race. So the Orioles put themselves in a pretty tough position, losing both games, the doubleheader, against the Blue Jays on Monday. A 7-3 loss in Game 1, 8-4 loss in Game 2. They've now put themselves four and a half games back of the Blue Jays. And looking at the scores here, the Rays, of course, won again, so they're also four and a half back of Tampa. And it does look like the White Sox, right now as I record, are six outs away from beating Seattle. Seattle will probably come back and win, as they always do. But 
if they can get that, the O's will be five back of the Mariners. So basically almost exclusively a three-way tie right now between Toronto, Tampa, and Seattle that they're trying to chase. And I mean, the best way to look at it for two reasons. One, Seattle has a pretty easy schedule. Two, the O's don't play the Rays again. And three, the Orioles still have eight games left against Toronto. So essentially, I mean, there's a chance to catch Tampa Bay just because they play Toronto a lot too. They'll be playing some AL East games. I don't think there's any chance of catching Seattle. I think they're locked into the postseason. I think they're going to end that playoff drought. But it feels like with the amount of games they have left with them and the way that team has struggled at times this year, the Orioles' best chance to get into the postseason is going to be catching Toronto. And that's why these games are so important. And that's why losing these two was such a crushing blow. But the O's still have two more games in this series. Now, scheduled right now, tonight would be Kyle Bradish against Mitch White. That pitching matchup favors the Orioles. Then it would be Dean Kramer against Alec Manoa on Wednesday night. Now, we'll see how Jordan Lyles is feeling. If he's feeling better, he could start one of these games. Then maybe they would push back Bradish or Kramer. We will see how the O's kind of figure that out with Lyles. But at the end of the day, you know, the O's are still in this. That's that's what I'm getting at. They are still alive. The issue is they don't have a lot of wiggle room anymore. And if the O's lose these next two games to the Blue Jays, I mean, they would essentially be dead and buried in this playoff race because they so badly need to catch Toronto and Toronto only. I mean, at the end of the day, you need to catch this Blue Jay team and you need to beat this Blue Jay team head-to-head, which the O's have done up to this point. But if they were to lose these last two games of this series, that would put them six and a half back of Toronto. And theoretically, you would be at least, I mean, five and a half to six back of Seattle and Tampa. With 25 games to go, I mean, you would still have six games left against the Blue Jays. But that's a lot of ground to make up. And it probably puts them just out of it. I mean, to be quite honest with you, they might be done if they lose these next two games. And frankly, even if they go one and one, and they're they're not going to be at a great spot. I mean, if they split these two games... They'll still be four and a half back. Now, to be fair, they'll still have six games against Toronto to make it up. And really what you're shooting for if you're the Orioles, at the very least, you need to be three games back of the Blue Jays heading into the final series of the year. Because the final series of the year is Toronto at Baltimore. If you can keep yourself three games, within three games of Toronto, you have a chance to sweep and get into the playoffs. So one and one in these last two games, it probably keeps them around. Oh and two, I think they're done. But on the flip side, if the O's can turn it around, they can win these next two games, you get yourself right back to two and a half back at Toronto, right where you were basically all weekend. So at the end of the day, you're right in striking range. You're within those three games. You got 25 to go. You're right back in it. But it is so important to win at least one of these games and really mega important to win both because if you lose this series, you're putting yourself in a really, really tough spot. Now, the one thing for the Orioles is this is their first three-game losing streak after losing Sunday in both doubleheader games. First three-game losing streak since late June and early July. That was when they lost the final two games in Seattle, and then they lost the first two games in Minnesota on the back-to-back walk-off losses. That was four losses in a row. That was their last losing streak of three or more games. What did they do after they lost those four in a row? Well, the Orioles rattled off 10 consecutive wins to put themselves right in the mix of the wildcard race. And that's where they are. So 
I wanted to at least leave you with a positive note because maybe, like the O's did in late June and early July, after four straight crushing losses, they flipped the script, they won 10 in a row, they surprised everybody, and they got into the race. Maybe they can pull off another streak like that now, and that one wouldn't get them into the race. That would get them into a playoff spot heading into the last few weeks. This team still has the talent, I think, to get into the postseason. They can still do it. It's all in front of them. They still got eight games against Toronto, but you got to win those games because if you lose a lot against the Blue Jays, it kind of doesn't matter what you do against the other teams. But maybe they get this offense figured out, they get a new streak started, and it all starts tonight. Turn it around, beat the Blue Jays, and get right back into this race because there's still some fun baseball ahead of us here in September. And I got some fun podcasts ahead of us as well here in September. Of course, I'll be back with you tomorrow for a Wednesday episode. We'll, of course, recap game three between the Orioles and the Blue Jays, get you the five things you need to know. And we'll talk about some recent Orioles roster moves, not the optioning of pitchers they've done, but actually some claiming of some pitchers that the O's have done. They claimed two right-handed relievers over the past four or five days, put them both on the 40-man roster. Now, both of the guys are in AAA at the moment, but could help the Orioles' bullpen. And Anthony Castro and Jake Reed coming up tomorrow. We will talk about how each of those guys could potentially help out the Orioles' pen, but that's coming up on tomorrow's pod. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.